Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. convictions is that God's word does God's work. So if we are anchored in God's word, that we are going to be successful in doing his work. So this morning I want to tell a couple stories. First of all, before I read the scripture, I want to remind us what this special day is. This is the first day of spring. And uh, so I know what it is to be a Minnesotan. I came to Minnesota when I was 20 years old, and I'll tell that story sometime. And I came from California, and uh, I love Minnesota. But we were gone for 25 years, serving around the nation, and my wife said, I want to come home, be close to the grandkids. And so that's what she is doing today. She's taking care of three of her grandchildren as our oldest daughter is getting ready to celebrate her 20th anniversary. So she's not here today. But I love this first day of spring. The Germans call spring Lenz. And that's where we get our word Lent. So we are now in the third Sunday of Lent. We are 40 days marching towards uh, Easter. And so I'm going to be doing a series of messages about journey to the cross and the intensity that takes place as each week we get closer to the cross, Jesus' teachings become more and more intense. Um, the message I want us to think about uh, that is going to the cross wasn't easy. It wasn't just a simple thing that Jesus could say, all right, I can do this. Next week I'll be a different person. No. It was very, very intense. And raising a family or working a job, getting an education, all of those things are not easy. And God has not called us to the easy. He's called us to the faithful and the true. So if it was easy, everybody would want to do it. But it's not easy. And so Jesus called his disciples to something that was very difficult. And as I mentioned, one of the most difficult things that we're ever going to do in our life is to develop a consistent interior life of prayer and intercession. It's the most difficult thing we'll ever do. If you ever want to browbeat a congregation, just talk about prayer. And that's not my intent. My intent is to bring life and liberty to us. Fighting a war is not easy. Staying healthy is not easy. Running a farm is not easy. Fishing for a living is not easy. These are all hard things. And the question that's going to be before us is, what is the hardest thing that you've ever done? And then let's compare it with this call to a life of intercession and prayer. I love the story of Diane Wilson. And I'm going to put up a couple of slides up there of Diane Wilson. And uh, this is my message, and then we'll go to the next slide. And Diane Wilson's story starts in Seadrift, Texas. And then I'm going to read the scriptures. That's all the way down on the Gulf. And Diane Wilson is a shrimper. 
I don't know if anybody likes shrimp, but this is where one of the places that it comes from. And so here she is in Sea Drift, Texas, and she has a shrimp boat like this, and she is the mother of five children. It's the 1990s. And she's going to confront a multi-billion dollar international company that was polluting Seadrift, Texas. So go to the next slide here. So it was in Matagorda Bay, and the next slide we'll see. And there's the bay, and she made her livelihood with her family, with her husband, five children. One of her children is a special needs child. And she confronts, you go to the next slide here, she confronts this refinery, a Taiwanese company. And they are dumping pollutants into the community, into the Matagorda Bay, and there is massive pollution going on in this community. And so Diane Wilson, um, with a high school education, who is a voracious reader, she's kind of outraged by all this toxic waste that's coming into her community. And so she goes on to a battlefield, and this battlefield has massive documents from science, government policy, environmental law, legal cases and briefs, industry speak, and she begins to battle the public media as well. Her major opponent, as I mentioned, is this largest polluter in a community, this Taiwanese chemical company. And so this company denied discharging chemicals into the community. You can go to the next slide. And there's her book, An Unreasonable Woman. Now, ladies, that's a flattery title. I have met some ladies who are unreasonable. I've met some men who are unreasonable. I have been unreasonable at times. And I like a good page-turner. I I'm a, a, a love a good biography. And so as I begin to read her book about Diane, she was fearless in taking on these, this chemical company. And you can go to the next slide. And that is some of the fish that comes out of Matagorda Bay. And uh, so uh, many men and women were being affected by these pollutants from this company. There were various cancers. There were chemical spills within the plant. And the plant never told the employees the dangers of those chemical spills. And so she begins to fight. And she comes up with a total blockage. Nobody wants to help her. So she finally finds this attorney and this law firm that takes on the story. It takes on her cause. But the person that won the day was a salesman. Now, God will always have somebody unique and special to do something that seems impossible. And this salesman, he was a salesman of a wastewater treatment system that had a zero discharge of pollutants. And he became the solution for this chemical plant. He saw that the chemical plants were buying the system so he called the critics and offered his product as a solution. They had a choice. Either fight it out in the courts or implement the zero-charge discharge of waste. 
So a salesman won the day. In 1999, Wilson was able to introduce this company to other chemical plants who then implemented zero-emission waste treatment systems around the nation and around the world. And Diane Wilson was even invited to go to Taiwan to speak to the chemical situation that was there. So we're going to read in Luke chapter 11, and we're going to ask ourselves the question, what does this story tell us? What does this story of Luke tell us? And there's three things I want you to listen. If you do nothing, nothing will get done. Isn't that profound? <laughs> if you do nothing, nothing is going to get done. Secondly, ask the question, who can help me? And then call them. In Diane's story, in Diane Wilson's story, it was a salesman who helped her. A phenomenal story. And then thirdly, align yourself with people who can help you and accept the help and listen to the advice. So let's hear the story that Jesus told about something that was very difficult to do, something that was very challenging to do, something that was almost impossible to do. So one day, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to, come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet, because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will give us insight to your word this morning. And we'll not only be hearers of your word, but we'll be doers of your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a huge problem in your life. Or you know someone facing an enormous mountain. And what are you going to do? We, and I speak very honestly and caringly for you, we as a church have a huge problem. We are a small and aging congregation. Our neighbors need us. 
our community around us is growing and expanding and thriving. What are we going to do? Luke tells the story of Jesus from three perspectives. One has to deal with preparation. So I always say to myself and as I pray, I'm a prepared man for a prepared time, for a prepared people, for a prepared place. I believe in preparation. I know some, we have probably some great cooks in the congregation. And I believe Pauli's great cooks also value the, the role of preparation. Can you imagine eating raw food? No, we don't do that, you know. And so preparation has its place. Jesus was prepared to go to the cross for us. He spent three and a half years preparing his disciples in the handoff that they too would take the good news of the gospel. Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, around the world. What I call the here, near, and far. He was ready to do that. So it's through proclamation and then perseverance in proclamation. This message of scripture brings all three of these P's together. The perspective, the preparation, the proclamation, and, pers and perseverance. Accomplishing anything in the kingdom of God happens by calling out to God for help. It's that simple. Lord, help me. So Luke 3 and 4 is about preparation. Jesus was absolutely clear about who he was, his identity. He knew that he was the Son of God. He knew that he was Messiah. Luke 6 lays out the core values of what it is like to be in his kingdom. We call them the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness' sake. And then the promise is this, for you will be filled. Luke 9 through 19 is about ministry multiplication. In Luke 9, he sends out the 12 disciples to proclaim that the rule and reign of Christ has come. And then in Luke 10, he sends out 70 others also. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Pray. And the King James says, pray ye therefore. You've got to have a ye there now and then. Pray ye therefore to send forth laborers into his harvest. So it's a marvelous reminder that the harvest is plentiful. It's all there. When harvest time comes, I know what it is to serve in a farming community. When harvest time comes, every effort is made to get the harvest in. Because if you don't get it in, you have to be able to pay your bills. It's that simple. And so, he says the harvest is plentiful. And it's his harvest. It's not a Baptist harvest, or a Methodist harvest, or a Presbyterian harvest, or a Lutheran harvest. It's his harvest. And so, he's called us to be about his harvest. And they go out. And the 70 go out and they proclaim, and they come back with great joy. And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in those things. Don't rejoice in doing things. But rather rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. 
being and belonging is more important than doing. We will set ourselves up for depression and failure if we think that we only have value when we're doing something. We're going to get older. And we're not going to be able to do those things. And if you build your life as you are only valued by what you do, you'll be very depressed when you're sitting in that rocking chair. But if your value is I belong to him and he belongs to me, my sins have been forgiven, I'm his child. Well, I'm going to be one fulfilled and you will be one fulfilled person. So in Luke 11, our text for this morning, we see the multiplication of disciples through prayer. Remember the Diane Wilson story. Ask the question, who can help me? And then call them. The hardest thing you and I will ever do as a follower of Jesus is to develop this consistent prayer life. The hardest ministry to develop in the church is the ministry of prayer and intercession that earnestly and consistently calls out to God. So first of all, prayer is a discipline. This means it is something that we can learn. And to have motivation to learn anything means that we have to value it. So before I could ever get to the point of having an interior life where I'm praying, I have to see that there is value in this. Far too many people born out of the ministry because they don't have an interior prayer life. Far too many churches become disarrayed because there is not an interior prayer life in the DNA of the church. How relevant is this? How important is this? Is there any benefit of learning the power to pray? Is there any benefit or power in learning from Jesus how to pray? If you truly are a Christ follower and you want others to follow Christ, prayer then is indispensable. In Luke 11, one of the twelve sees Jesus praying in a particular place. He observes him, and when he stops, this disciple realizes that Jesus is about to start a teaching. And before he can take out his lesson plan, this disciple asks, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. And a good question for us is, what prevents us from asking the same question? All too often it's our pride, or we think that we are sufficient within ourselves, or that prayer is optional, or we think that prayer is too simplistic, or we say, I'm just busy. And this is, again, what is it that you value? What is it that you really want to accomplish? What is it that you hope for in your children and your grandchildren and the next generation? What is it that really is a passion inside of you? And can you do it by yourself? And through prayer, Jesus says, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Seek, and you shall find. 
And because of these responses, when people say I'm too busy or it's not something that I value, the church declines. Disciples are not at it. And people end up going to hell. Why? Because of prayerlessness. My greatest prayer request from you for this time is that there will be a rising tide of prayerfulness in our congregation. Amen? Let's just put that on your list. Lord, give us a rising tide of prayerfulness. This one disciple was different. He saw the power of Jesus' ministry in healing and teaching people about the kingdom of God. He saw the life and value of prayer in Jesus. And he calls him Lord. And for the benefit of the other 11 disciples, he asks, teach us. Not teach me. Teach us to pray. Secondly, how to pray follows the example of Jesus. In verse 2, Jesus says, When you pray, say, Father. Immediately we say, Oh, this is the our Father. Or the Lord's Prayer. Or even the disciples' prayer. And being familiar with this, our Father, we tune out. But Luke doesn't recite this prayer the way Matthew does. Luke leaves out the word our. And he starts with Father. He leaves out the part, Thy will be done. And about being delivered from evil. The point is this. This is not about learning how to recite a prayer. But learning how to pray. Wow. There's a world of difference between reciting a prayer and learning how to pray. Yes, we need to know how to petition God, not only as Father provider, but as hallowed and all-righteous holy God. Prayer is an invitation on the merits of Christ to talk with God. I remember a little Sunday school song that we used to sing. Shut in with God. Uh, there the Spirit beholding His face, gaining new power to run in the race. I long to be shut in with God. And that's part of the heart's cry that this disciple had. He said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Learning how to pray gives us God's perspective. Jesus said, pray your kingdom come. God's will or your will? Which do you want? Prayerlessness says, I want my will. Prayerfulness says, I want to know what God wants me to know. Prayerlessness says, entertain me. Prayerfulness says, I want to know about his kingdom and about his rule and his reign in my life and in the life of his church. Learning how to pray gives perspective that God is our, is our ultimate source. How many times have I prayed through? And I said, oh Lord, get them. And then the Lord turns around and says, it's not them, it's you. you know, when we pray, our perspectives change. It's not about give me, give me, give me. 
Because Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening. I need you in my life. This is the beginning mark. He says, in prayer we ask him, grant us our daily bread each day. In prayer our relationships are purified as we pray to God, forgive us. Do you hear that plural pronoun in there? Us. We are the body of Christ. Not me, verse 4, but us. This is the beginning mark and the deepening mark of prayer and intercession. Although we love the message of God's forgiveness, but how about also forgive everyone who has crossed the line and missed the mark with us? Are we willing to say that we are a forgiven people so we can be a forgiving people? Well, that takes place. Should kneel down and pray. Find a place to pray. Seek God. True prayer and intercession brings us to the place of forgiveness that no longer holds on to the offenses of others. At this point in this teaching on prayer, at the end of verse 4, Jesus tells us to pray so that they are not led into entrapments and into, into temptation. Thirdly, effective prayer is built upon a relationship with God. When Pastor Phil called me and uh, wanted to know if I was available. And I recently finished a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, I didn't want to talk to another church for a little while. <laughs> And so I told my director, I said, um, maybe at the first of the year I'll be ready to go out again. And um, so November, Pastor Phil calls me. First of the year is coming around. And I told my director, well, that was in September, in the fall. And I said, well, maybe after the first of the year. I'm not ready. And usually, and this is, you are addressing to me that I'm able to sleep in my own bed for this first time in eight years. I, I come home and I leave, and we live in Chaska, and so he said, well, we have a church. Would you consider? So out of prayer, we are here today as answer to prayer. But it depends upon a relationship. And so when Pastor Phil called me, I said, well, we need to have coffee. Because all ministry begins in relationship. Connectivity. Verse 5 through 8. Verse 5 has a word which only appears one time in the entire New Testament. Our translation says, Friend, lend me three loaves. That word lend. King Wilson. It's a participle. And its effect on the tension of the text, it intensifies the request. Not just give me, but you're my neighbor, you're my friend. Lend me three loaves of bread. That's what was going on in this story. So Jesus told this story about this man. It carries the idea of having the power to create by speaking or directing something into existence. So this 
in this story, this man who had a visitor coming late at night, he knows that his neighborly friend is a man of means, and his bond and his friendship is so tight that he knows that he could ask him for anything at any time. That's a great friend to have. Think about it. This friend has unlimited resources. And the relationship and the bond that you have with this friend is so tight. You can ask this friend for anything at any time at any place. And he's going to respond to you. That's the depth of, of the story that is going on here. That is the power of prayer that Jesus was illustrating in this story. The story continues. Just as there's a human side to Jesus, there's a human side to the friendship in this story. If you look closely at verse 7, an answering from within can also be translated and answering inwardly. There's no evidence that his friend heard what this benefactor was mumbling. In a way, this neighbor, with great resources, was mumbling to himself saying, Go away, it's late, my kids are in bed, I don't want to get up and I don't want to help you. That's what he's kind of mumbling on the inside. But because he is his friend, even a friend who shamelessly comes in the dark of night, with a questionable request for three loaves of pita bread, huh? because he has company who's coming unannounced, because he is his friend, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, we use the term strength of relationship. This is one of the best illustrations of strength of relationship. In that strength of relationship, there is a bond. And in that bond, there is provision. And in that provision, there is a response. If you and I will but pray. Finally, prayer requires determination. Verses 9 through 13, Jesus encourages disciples to persistently pray. The imperative in verse 9 carries the idea of asking and keep asking and staying with it. So it's just not ask one time a word you heard. But ask again and ask again and maybe you'll get clarification of what you're asking for is spot on or might not be spot on. But you'll never know unless there's this persistence and determination in you for an answer. Keep asking, verses 9 and 10. If you want to multiply followers, if you want to have an impact in your community, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you'll discover. Keep knocking and it will be revealed to you. That's the promise from our Lord Jesus. For everyone who is asking receives and the one who is seeking finds, and the one knocking, it will be open. So you come to the kind of conclusion of all of this. Luke 
frames Jesus' teaching on prayer based on the relationship in the last three verses, in 11 through 13. He says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here again, in the first story, Jesus told the strength of relationship between a neighbor and his other neighbor has, a whole, has all the resources. Now Jesus talks about the strength of the relationship between a father and a son. And in this strength of relationship, if the son asks for a fish, is the father going to trip him up, give him something that is just, just to the contrary? Absolutely not. That's not the kind of father we have. And the mere construction of the sentence answers the question, would a deceitful father ever do such a thing? And the answer is absolutely not. And then verse 13, if you, an earthly father, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the father who from heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those asking him? That's God's agency. That was, Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Sin because they don't believe in me. So when we pray, if we really want to have an impact in the kingdom for his glory, that we will do it asking the Holy Spirit to convince the world there is the Lent code, to enlighten the world that Jesus is Messiah. And of righteousness, Jesus said, I go to the Father, and you see me no more. Jesus proved who he was by where he went. He was in a right relationship with the Father. And of judgment, John 16, 6 and 7 says, because the prince of this world has already been judged. The enemy, when we came to the cross, the enemy was rendered powerless to have any influence over us because we are now under his kingdom rule. So here's the conclusion of the matter. In the final days, Dr. Luke is foreshadowing the person and work of the Holy Spirit from the, in the book of Acts. Acts has everything to do with proclaiming the gospel in power, making disciples, transforming relationships, and changing the world. And it starts with prayer, asking the Father, to send the Holy Spirit to multiply followers of Jesus. This is our triune God at work among us. Let's pray. Father, I know as we are moving closer and closer to Passion Week and Easter, um, you taught your disciples difficult things. And yet, Lord, they got it. They were the ones who turned the world upside down. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to hear your word. I pray for a rising tide of prayerfulness among us. And for each in the interior life, that this day would be a turning point of putting you front and center as we seek, as we knock, and we ask, Lord Jesus, for you to do exceptional things among us, for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.